The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that, you, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Now, I am just as human as you are, and I have done things out of order this morning. You all realize this because you were looking at your bulletins. I wasn't. So I'm going to ask you to be seated, and I'm going to have Mark come up to read our lesson from Revelation, and then I'll come back to actually preach the sermon in the order in which it was supposed to happen. Today's New Testament reading is Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. It can be found in your Red Bible on page 1041. Red Bible on page 1041. Let us all hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were from the healing of the nation. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for this promise that you are making all things new. You're doing that in our midst now by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And you will restore all things at the end of, cre- at the end of history when you come to renew creation. We thank you that we can therefore be people who live in hope. We pray that your joy would be in our midst today and that you would draw us forward as those who hope in the new creation. We pray this for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. So over the last four weeks, we have been wrestling with an important question. What does it mean to be a human being? It's one of those fundamental questions that we have to ask if we ever want to figure out how to be human beings. Well, in order to attempt to answer this question, we've been walking through the four main acts of the story of Scripture, trying to understand the human story and the story of the world. We began with Act 1, creation, in Genesis 1 and 2. And there we learned that human beings are glorious creatures. We are dependent on God and made to be in relationship with Him. We were also made for one another. And we've been given the task of stewarding the good things of this world as God's image bearers. It's an incredible thing to be human. We saw in Act 2, however, that we have fallen from our original state of grace. In our thirst for independence, we rejected God and we became slaves to sin. Not only is this a story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, it's our personal story as well. We're broken and we're wounded as a result, living in exile while longing for home. As I said last week, this puts us in an impossible situation. Because of our actions and because of the disposition of our hearts, we cannot be the creatures that we were made to be. But in Act 3, everything changed. 
It was then that Jesus, the Son of God, entered our story by becoming a human being, becoming one of us. Through his death and resurrection, he invited us into a restored relationship with God. He he offered us forgiveness of our sins and healing of our brokenness. In this work of redemption, Jesus gave us a path back to our true humanity. And it's a gift we receive by turning to him in faith and submitting to him as Lord. But what then? What then? Does anything actually change when you come to faith in Jesus? Or does life simply become a kind of waiting room for heaven? And what do we mean by heaven anyway? Well, these are all important questions, ones that the church hasn't always been very good at answering, if we're honest. Thankfully, Scripture does. The story doesn't end in Acts 3 with the promise and invitation of redemption. Those of us who have accepted Jesus' gift of redemption, we've been promised life forever in a new creation. And it's this new creation promise, Act 4, that I want to talk about. Oh, are you okay? We just got a chair, a faulty chair. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Ian. The story of Act 4 is the story of new creation. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about how we look ahead to our eternal future and how the eternal future affects our present lives here and now. In order to do that, I want to ask you to turn to the very end of those red Bibles in front of you to Revelation 21. It's on page 1041. And it's here that John gives us an incredible vision of the future of creation and of humanity. Now, the book of Revelation is strange and it's wonderful. It contains a sequence of visions in which John is given a glimpse of life in this world and in the world to come. And those visions, they come to a climax in chapters 21 and 22 where John sees the ultimate end of the world as we know it and the advent of a new creation. These visions, they're not easily interpreted. They're filled with signs and symbols, the meaning of which isn't always clear. The main message, however, is abundantly clear. One day, Jesus will return in glory to inaugurate a new creation in which the world as we know it will be utterly transformed All will be made right, and we will live with him forever. So at the beginning of Revelation 21, John describes one of his final visions in the following way. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. 
And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things passed away. Bless you. And there is so much more going on here than we can talk about. Here's what I want you to notice. First, what we look forward to is not some disembodied existence in the clouds, playing harps and singing with angels. What God promises us is a new and perfected world. So when we talk about heaven, that's what we're talking about. The New Testament is very clear that when Jesus returns, we will rise from the dead to inhabit new bodies. And with these perfect bodies, we will live in a new creation where there is no sorrow and no pain. Salvation isn't just for us as individuals. It's for the world that God has made, and it's a world that we as his people will enjoy forever. I also want you to notice this. God himself will be with us. Remember the garden in Act 1 where God was with Adam and Eve before their rebellion, speaking to them and walking with them? In the new creation, we will return to this kind of fellowship with God. But we will do so in a world without evil and without the possibility of rebellion, a world that's not only no longer broken, but a world that's unbreakable. The vision continues in chapter 22 where we read, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. In this new creation with a new city, a new Jerusalem at the center, we find the tree of life which was present in the garden at the beginning. But it's no longer just a single tree. It's, it's an orchard bearing fruit year-round for the healing of the nations. So just imagine, imagine a world in which your body does not age, in which you never fear for the safety of your children, in which the only tears you cry are tears of joy. That is what God promises us at the end of history in Act 4. But we need to be clear that this future is not for everyone. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus last week in John 3? In order to receive the gift of forgiveness, the healing of brokenness, and the restoration of our humanity, we must believe in Jesus trusting that he has the power to give us these things and then following him as our Lord in this life. These things, all of these things, they're freely given. But you have to actually open up your hands and receive them. The new creation is only for those who receive these gifts from Jesus. So what do these promises have to do with being human here and now? Oh, quite a lot, as it turns out. I'll tell you a bit of a story. My wife, Alicia, and I 
we got engaged at the top of a cliff on the coast of Wales. It was a windy night in December of 1999, and I was shivering with cold and excitement when I got down on my knees and asked her to marry me. Now, I did actually go down on both knees, which in hindsight feels a little overdramatic, but somehow felt appropriate at the moment. Thankfully, Alicia said yes, although she will tell you that she felt she had little choice seen as we were perched on top of a cliff and she was afraid that I might toss myself into the ocean if she said no. I had only met Alicia 12 months before, but I had been praying for her for years. Now, at last, we were engaged and a wedding date was set. It was, without a doubt, it was the happiest day of my entire life, and it was the beginning of a wonderful season, a wonderful but painful season of preparation. Now, I had, of course, anticipated the wonderful part of that season of engagement. I was getting married after all. I'd met the girl of my dreams. But no one had bothered to warn me that it would also be painful. So for much of the next six months, we were living in different countries, and far too much of our time was spent in planning for the future. The low point came one week in the spring when I somehow made Alicia cry on the phone every day for five days in a row. (laughs) Engagement was hard. I desperately wanted to be with this girl to start a new life together, but there was a season of waiting, of distance, and of preparation. Of course, it was also wonderful. We were getting to know each other. We were busy dreaming about life together. We were making plans, and we were forging memories that we knew were just the first chapter of a long shared life together. It was painful, and it was wonderful. It was a season of joy and a season of longing which takes us back to John's vision and revelation and our lives as Christians waiting for the new creation. So I wonder if you caught the reference to a wedding in Revelation 21. John writes, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, it's an arresting image, and it's one that John has already encountered in his visions, and it's one that comes up time and time again in the pages of Scripture where God's people are described as a bride and God himself as the groom. Just two chapters earlier in Revelation 19, John had a vision where he, which he described in the following way. He writes, then I heard a roar, or then I heard what seemed to, to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The final act in the story of the Bible, the new creation, it's a wedding. It's our wedding. It's the day on which we will be united to God forever, 
to live the lives we have always longed for but never been given. And this means that life in the present, life during this season of engagement will be both wonderful and painful as a result, filled with great joy and with intense longing. On the night before he was killed, Jesus spent a long time praying. He prayed for himself, for his disciples, and even for us. Now, I read part of that prayer to you a few moments ago from John 17, and I want to read a bit of it to you again. Here is how Jesus prayed to God the Father. Starting at verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And then verse 13, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, They're not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Notice first that Jesus prays for our joy in verse 13. The Christian life is one of joy. It's the joy of falling in love and getting engaged. When you place your faith in Christ and receive the gift of salvation, you experience true humanity for the first time because your relationship with God has been restored. You're no longer hobbled in the same way by sin or weighed down by shame. But the joy doesn't stop there. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are restored to each other as well. Notice how Jesus prays in verse 11 for us to be one, united to him and to each other. And do you remember the curses of Act 2 back in Genesis 3 where God made clear that the consequence of sin was enmity with each other? Well, now because of our salvation, we are drawn into a new community where we have been reconciled. The church is like a little garden of Eden. It's a place where our relationships with one another and with God himself have been restored. It's a little outpost of green in a brown and barren world. And in this new life together, we aren't merely waiting around to die or for Jesus to return. Jesus prays that God will sanctify us in this life in verse 17. This means to be set apart and to be made holy. Again, remember Act 1 and the fact that we were made in God's image and commissioned to bear his glory. One way to think of sanctification is as the restoration of God's image and the return of our glory. As we mold ourselves and our lives to his will, we shine brighter, rediscovering our glory as human beings. But that's not our only purpose. Jesus sends us out In verse 18, the purpose of the church is not to gather as a garden club, so to speak, in our beautiful little buildings, pleased with our brightening glory. Our purpose is to take the word of salvation into the world. 
Not only do we receive the gift of full humanity when we come to Jesus in faith, we are sent to take that gift to others and to share it freely. But we aren't yet home. The new creation is still to come. Everything that was broken has not been healed. Though we are redeemed and though our salvation is secure, we are still living in exile outside of the gates of the garden. We continue to inhabit a world that's filled with evil, suffering, and hatred, all of which Jesus mentions in his prayer. We were painfully reminded of this yesterday with the tragic death of that young girl at the parade downtown. So when Joel Osteen assures you that you can live your best life now, he's mistaken. That life will only come in the new creation when evil, suffering, and death have been destroyed forever. And so we learn to live in this in-between time, this time where we have already received salvation but not yet taken up residence in the new creation. Life after salvation, it's like a season of engagement. It's wonderful and it's painful. It's a season of joy and a season of longing. And that means that we are a people who celebrate, but who also lament. If we want to be fully human, we will learn to live by faith in hope. We will lean forward into the final act of Scripture, the new creation yet to come. We will be people of abiding joy, but also of deep longing. People who celebrate, but also lament, all the while sharing the source of our hope with those around us. Now, you may be hearing this story of Scripture for the first time. You may have never heard an explanation like this for how to be a human being. And if so, there's a lot to take in, I understand. As you evaluate what I've said today and over the last four weeks, if this is you, I want to encourage you to do one thing. I want to encourage you to listen to the longing that's inside you. Listen to that longing that's inside you. Most of us live with a sense that life is not the way it was meant to be. And I don't just mean the tragic headlines that confront us every day. I'm speaking of the dissonance that accompanies our daily lives, the sense that something is off, that unmet longing for something more, something better, something lasting. Listen to that longing because it points to something true. You were made for more. You were made to be in a relationship with the God who crafted you in his image, blessed you with your unique gifts, and set you down in his world to care for it. You were made to be part of God's people and to inhabit a perfect creation, a place without sorrow or shame, a home that has been promised to us in the new creation. This is how to be a human being. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you 
filled with joy and filled with longing. Joy at the gift of our salvation, the, the recovery of our humanity, the hope of things to come. Longing for the full restoration of this world. Longing for the end of sorrow. Longing for your presence with us as risen Son and Savior. May we learn to live in this time between the times as we long for act four in the coming new creation. May we be people who celebrate and lament. May we be people of joy and of longing, sharing the good news of salvation and the hope of restored humanity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.